constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of parents saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where we bring together experts and thought leaders from around the world to share insights and ideas that will help improve the education experience for students, teachers, administrators, and parents alike. I am Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer. I am here with Dr. Dana Specker-Watts, who is the Director of Learning Research and Outreach at ISS. Dana, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Great to be here. As usual, before we get started today, a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also visit us on iss.edu slash events in order to see all of our upcoming professional developments and also all of our upcoming job fairs in person and virtually. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Eddie Silber. Today, we are here with Eddie, who's an experienced educator and a consultant who has helped schools and organizations navigate transitions in various contexts. In this episode today, we'll dive into the topic of navigating transitions in schools, especially for staff who may be new to the country organization. Eddie will share strategies and insights on how to make these transitions a little bit smoother and more meaningful for everyone involved. Eddie, how are you today? I'm great, Mike. I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, thank you for being here. Where are you calling from, Eddie, today? I'm in uh, sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Ooh, very nice. It's sunny here, too, in Newark, New Jersey. So I wanted to ask you, let's start off with the very first question here. What inspired you to focus on transitions in work as an educator and a consultant? Well, I was uh, a school leader in international schools for a number of years. I headed schools in Spain, in China, Guatemala, and here in the United States as well, international schools. And I realized early on, even from my own experience, my personal experience as a, an international school educator, that we have to help people when they come into a new location, a new job and a new life mm -hmm. if we want them to function at their optimal. And it doesn't happen by itself, or at least it, you want to ensure that it happens in a very uh, positive way, a very productive way as soon as possible, because uh, everybody's got to get to the main focus of their work is to teach our students. And that's where we have to keep our focus. Mm -hmm. So we need to help them. No, I was just going to say in the past school, this is just a quick yes or no. You didn't see transitional programs or they weren't in, working? 
In some schools, there were very minimal transitional programs that existed. And when I came in as a head of school, I introduced transition programs into my schools. And I really enjoyed seeing the outcomes from those programs. So each year it developed and in my workshop next month, I'll share some of my my work with you. And I hope other school leaders will be able to find some um, activities and programs that uh, will help in their schools. You know, I wanted to just piggyback on something you said too. I think in addition to, you know, we need the kids like to transition and transition well, because we don't want it to impact their learning. But I also think for a lot of our expat TCK kids, they transition so much. And so they might know that they're there on a parent's work visa that's only for a two-year, three-year stint. And so you don't want to spend a whole year helping the kid get acclimated, and then they're on the way out the next year, you know? And so I think it's important, the quicker you can do that and the smoother landing you can do that helps the kid feel like they have stayed there longer, if that makes any sense. At least that's what I found with my own kids. Yeah, for sure. Now, I didn't want to uh, let you uh, think that I am discounting the kids. My focus in the seminar, the upcoming seminar, will be on the adults in the community. And I know that you will be having a follow-up seminar on transitioning the students in the international schools as well. But clearly, everybody in the international school is in transition all the time. And that's my major point in the seminar. We might not think about the local people or the veteran staff and students in an international school as transitioning, but they are as well. Because every time their friends or their teachers or their families come in or out, everybody is in transition. And that is one of the points that I'll make during my seminar everybody is involved in this. And so I involve everybody in the transition program. Eddie, speak so passionately about the the transitioning process. Why why is the transition process important in the context of schools and organizations, especially for staff? Well, you can look at it from a few different lenses. It's really important. And I would like to perhaps debunk the myth that it's a one and done kind of an activity. Yeah, well, we give them the handbook and they're ready to go. No. Number one, it's an all year process, round the clock. And I use the metaphor of the carousel. It's something that needs to be done all year long. And I'll explain that in the seminar. But my guiding light, or you could say, my lens through which I see the importance of transition programs, there's the psychological lens, and I use Maslow's hierarchy of needs to demonstrate that. Then there's, I like to use the lens, the moral lens or the social lens of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. I'm sure that every one of us would have liked to have that kind of support, attention, when we came into a new place. So that's another lens. Then there's the professional lens. As I said, it's our job to make sure that every single teacher is ready to give our students their best as soon as possible. So that's another lens. 
And then if all those other lenses weren't enough, we could look at the financial lens, <laughs> which is you want to get a good return on your investment or at least not lose it. And so uh, for all those reasons, it's really important. And my passion, I'm a teacher at heart, and I really enjoy helping and educating, whether it's children or adults. So yeah, you definitely hear the passion in my voice. And I really enjoyed doing these. I was very hands-on and involved in all of the uh, transition programs that I introduced, and, and I love doing it. Within these transition programs, uh, especially since international schools is from different countries, have you seen cultural orientation? What does that look like? Absolutely. Absolutely important. And, you know, a lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country, you know, mm -hmm. and that's always fine. But I definitely encourage the more in-depth cross-cultural books about how to get along with uh, this culture or that culture. So that's very, very important. But in addition, in every one of my schools, I introduced the not only the newcomers, but also the host nationals to a workshop of, well, at least 20 hours on culture and uh, understanding the other and understanding yourself, because you cannot understand the other unless you first understand yourself and where your culture is coming from. And so uh, I've done these uh, workshops and I continue to do them as a consultant, uh, supporting other schools. I find this so important. It's almost like a mini anthropology class. And I find it fascinating. It clarified when I first learned about this, it clarified for me my feelings and my understandings of the other. And I find that it helped my staff understand it very, very well. Not only the newcomers, as I said, but also my host country nationals participated in the workshop. And that was really important for them to understand these newcomers who keep coming in and out of their lives as well. And before I go to my next question, you just mentioned cultural books. Is there a couple that you want to mention right now? Oh, there are some excellent books out on the market. These are professional books uh, that have been written. The, the latest one that I read, which is a generic one, is The Culture Map. It talks about many different cultures, but there are definitely specific books geared to a particular country or culture. And those are very, very helpful, whether you're going to China or you're going to Israel or you're going to Peru. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always give my incoming staff a book list like that. And that's yes. one of my recommendations in the seminar. That's an excellent idea. And I was trying to look really quickly. I have your book somewhere. And so I was like, I wanted to be, but then I was like, oh, no one's going to be able to see me show it. <laughs> That's right. This is a podcast. That's why I hold it up and I say, don't forget about Eddie's book. Eddie's book should be You got to tell us, tell us what's the title. But I don't have it. I think it's in my office at work. I was trying to find it really quick. 
But that's an excellent idea is to give teachers, and someone else was telling me this recently as well, is sending teachers even before they come like a reading list just to help them understand and prepare for what is about to happen. Because I think often they think it's just going to be the exact same thing, just in a different country. And they don't understand that this is an entirely different community. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. In fact, in the seminar, I will describe how to analyze your organizational culture, because not only people have a culture or come from a culture into another culture, but every organization has its own culture. And I will explain some of that in some activities to engage in for your newcomers who must learn the culture of the organization quickly. Mm. (laughs) Quickly is the operative word. The faster they can learn it, the faster they will be successful. And we want them to be successful. At the end of the day, we want them to do their best. We want them at the top of that Maslow's pyramid. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, seniainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. What other type of common challenges do you see the staff facing when they're in transitions? And how can these be addressed, Eddie? Oh, there are endless challenges. You don't even realize. Maybe the top two. No, I can, I can I see. To. I can imagine <laughs> you're up and think, just going to another place. There's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah. Listen, think about if you move house from one state in the United States to another. That's a transition. That's a change. And it's not easy. You have to search for the new places to shop. You have to figure out where all of your services are and you know get hooked up to the gas and the electricity and everything. Now imagine you have to do that in a foreign country where you don't even know the language, you don't know the culture and the behaviors. You were an independent person, you were a, a productive person. And all of a sudden you're transferred into a new life and now you have become dependent. You've lost your independence. And in fact, you begin to feel like a child again. That's very uncomfortable for any adult. And these are the things that the sponsoring group, and in our case, the sponsoring group is the school. And I will talk about other sponsoring groups in the seminar, but it's incumbent upon the sponsoring organization to help you 
get through that period of time. So that's one of the the most difficult psychological challenges that a newcomer faces coming into a new country. And it's fraught with fears and all sorts of emotions. And of course, we in the seminars on culture, I also describe culture shock. And culture shock is basically stress caused by all these cultural uncertainties. And it causes a lot of emotional frustration, and it will impact your work. There's no way it can't impact your work. So it's incumbent upon the sponsoring organization to help you get through those that difficult period of time. And for every person, it's a different length of time, too. Molly Faye, did you have a question for us? I did. I did. Hi, listeners. Uh, I'm Molly Faye. I work on the professional development team with Mike and Dana. I'm normally a silent observer of these podcasts, but just a tiny bit of background on me. Between the age of two and 18, I moved 16 different times. Not so much because of education, but because of the military. But um, talking with Eddie was one of the first times where I really identified like, wow, I have no idea what my personal culture is, because the hardest question for me is when people ask, where are you from? And I have no idea. And so as a child with the perspective of watching my parents transition, my mom's the one who is active duty military. She always had some sort of element of debriefing or understanding the area we moved to. My dad was the trailing spouse. And I can remember maybe one time that he was involved in onboarding or that transition process. So I know that your focus is on kind of adults and staff members in the transition process, but what advice do you have for schools if somebody's coming in with a trailing spouse? Well, this is a a very important question, and this goes back to the recruiting process. Now, we're not military. We're in the international school arena. Part of the recruiting process needs to be finding out are you planning on bringing a dependent? We're called dependents if, if you're coming to another country and you are not working and therefore you do not have a work visa. What is that dependent going to do? How is that dependent going to be successful and supportive to the person who is working? And then you add to that children as dependents. Now, in our organizations. We are the sponsoring group and we are the employer and we are the school for the employee's children all at the same time, which is one of the most unique paradigms. And that's why I even wrote a book about that based on some research. But the point is it's a family unit. And so you have to make sure that everybody's going to be okay And the old adage used to be, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) And today it's switched around quite a bit. I'm glad to say that sometimes it's mama who's working and it's papa who is, I like to use the term non-working spouse because I was also a non-working spouse for a period of time. So you have to make sure that that non-working spouse is able to, let's put it this way, be happy and adjust to the new reality because the number one reason for failed assignments, not necessarily in international schools, but in HR in general, 
is family issues. That's why these assignments fail, not because the employee is not uh, professional or has done something wrong. It's because the family is having trouble adapting and adjusting and they have to go home. And talk about loss of uh, investment. That's a huge loss if you want to look at it only in financial terms. But obviously, in professional terms, it is a very serious loss. So we want to prevent that. Did I answer your question, Molly Faye? That was really great. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, can you share some examples with us of effective transition programs that you've seen or helped develop in the past? Sure. Well, first of all, as I will explain next month, it's an ongoing process throughout the year. And that includes all of the promotion that you do even before recruitment. And it also includes the recruitment process. It's all part of this transition program. So while you're out there looking for the best and the brightest to bring to your school, you're also educating everybody else about your school. And so that's your investment in future teachers, as well as your investment in uh, transitioning the ones that are going to come to you. So that's part of it. Then there has to be a whole program of before arrival and then mm -hmm. after arrival. Right. And what are you going to do during that period of time? Then there has to be a program uh, for follow-up. So let's say two or three months after arrival, six months after arrival, I call it temperature checking. How are you doing, guys? You know, everybody okay? What are some of the issues? How are you feeling? I encourage everybody to keep a journal, actually, because uh, that's really, really helpful. So I have all different activities for those periods of time. And then part of the uh, transition program is also saying goodbye because that is the reality in our schools. Every year, somebody is saying goodbye to somebody. And that hits the veteran people, the veteran students and the veteran staff equally hard. So we shouldn't forget about this, what we call the leavers and the stayers. We shouldn't forget about the stayers. So I've introduced all different activities in order to address all of those periods of time. And each of the activities include, I'm a great believer in experiential learning and uh, fun and humor. And I think that people learn best in those uh, environments. And I hope that uh, everybody who will join us will think so as well and uh, will perhaps adopt some of the, um, the strategies I offer. Could you just share one of those strategies that could be implemented to ensure that the departing staff is having a positive and supporting exit from the school community? Sure. Are you talking about at the end of the school at year? The yeah. yeah. Oh, and by the way, in international schools, it's not always at the end of the year, unfortunately. Mm. And this is a big bugaboo, shall we say. And I've had issues with particularly large corporations who move their families in and out at any time of the year with no regard for the academic year of the children, which is really, it really disrupts a, a family terribly, terribly, emotionally and in every other way. 
But I think it's important for schools to develop rituals. Every school has their own rituals. And so you have to have a ritual of saying goodbye. And it's very important to have a healthy closure because it helps everybody with the next stage, which is now receiving the new people back. Because the last thing you want to have is a situation where the stayers become jaded. Like, why should I be friendly to these newcomers? They're just going to leave anyway. And so you have to help overcome that perspective. And good closures will help in that. You have to recognize the stayers as well as the leavers at that moment. And then you set the stage for the start of the new academic year. Did I answer your question, Mike? You absolutely did. And I have one last one. Oh, can I ask a quick question too? Or not a question? Nope. Now you're going to ask your question. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure, Dana? Yeah. All right. And mine was going back to the newcomers because it looks like, uh, especially in international schools, there's an array of different types of character and different types of staff members that are coming in. So in what ways can a transition program be tailored to meet the needs of different staff members, such as teaching versus non-teaching staff or hosting country versus foreign hires? Yeah, that is a a very, very important uh, question, and it needs to be addressed every year. The difference between newcomers and veterans, the difference between teaching staff and other staff in whatever department they're in. I believe that everybody needs to be involved in much of these transition programs. I know that to get HR involved is very, very important, but that's usually the time that they're the busiest. But to get the HR involved in everything you do with the newcomers is very, very important. You simply invite them to the same activities. You invite them to participate, whether it's on-campus or off-campus activities. There has to be some system in place where they are included. It's not. I feel it's really important, particularly when you're talking about culture, because they need to hear it just as much as the newcomers need to hear it. And I think that when both are attuned to how the other one is thinking, I think that makes for better relationships at the end of the day, which is the goal. You want to have these uh, healthy relationships between cultures. I remembered what I was thinking about is when you were talking and you're talking about the time of year that people leave. I think that in now more than ever, it really hit a lot of people during COVID. People had to leave and some of them left, you know, they were away on vacation for Chinese New Year and they never even got to go back to their home, you know, and things of that nature. And now I think that's created a shift in the international school communities where in the past, If you had a parent or someone in your family who was in bad health, right, you would still stay your contract and finish your contract and then go home. And I think now, which I think is a lot more humane, but teachers especially will be like, you know what, I got to go. Like, I'm going to go now. I'm going to break my contract. Or if they're in a terrible contract where things aren't working out at the school or whatever happens to be the case, right? But they'll break it now where before they never used to break them. 
And I think it, we understand now that there are outside bigger circumstances. So we don't hold people to that. But in that same regard, then all of a sudden your teaching partner can be gone. Like something can happen quickly or a school leader or your colleague that, you know, you've been planning with all year. And the next thing you know, they're not there and those kids are gone or whatever. But it just really can impact the community in a whole new way than it did four years ago. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I would put this in the same category I mean, this is an international disaster, so I would put that in the same category as a war, right? Mm -hmm. It is an extreme situation, and in these extreme situations, you have to behave a little different, a little, a lot differently than you did in so-called normal times. But we all have colleagues who have, or ourselves, who have gone through civil unrest in a country, an all-out war or an invasion in the country, earthquakes, natural disasters in a country, and then COVID, if you want to call that a natural disaster also. So, <laughs> you know, you could say all bets are off. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're working in a whole new dynamic now. And this has been one of the challenges in, in our schools. What do we do? How do we now deal with educating these kids when all of these other things are going, I won't say the word. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think that, you know, it, it goes into your emergency planning. And of course, how do you plan for an epidemic? Well, we did have emergency plans in our school for, at one time, H1N1 virus, the bird flu. Every school should have emergency plans. Is it 100% effective? And can you foresee every single eventuality? No, but it helps. It's a piece of paper that helps guide you at least somewhat. And then you have to figure it out along the way. But I agree. COVID caused huge disruption in so many ways. I, perhaps we won't even uh, know the outcomes of all of it for a while, but it has changed the world. No question about it. No question. So yeah, in our schools, you know, breaking contract used to be a sacred thing. I mean, it, it was an unspoken law. Yes. And during these crazy times, things changed. Yeah. You know, there used to be an unspoken law about not poaching teachers from other schools in your city. Well, I won't comment any further on that. <laughs> well, all right. With that well, and COVID has really caused that to happen, especially oh, yes. not for anything, but in China, because they can't get teachers in and it's really hard to get visas right now. So they're just poaching from each other. You know, I one know. That's, why, school in Beijing. that's why I yeah. mentioned it. I know. I know. And, you know, again, difficult times create difficult behaviors. Thank you, Eddie, for that. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our episode here. But if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you, maybe to make an emergency plan, where would they find you on social <laughs> media or on LinkedIn or by email? Let us know. Yes, I'm definitely on LinkedIn and I have a website, www.ettizilber.com, one word. So uh, I'd love to hear from your listeners. 
And I hope that uh, some of them will join us on May 3rd and May 10th for the seminar. Thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Molly Faye. And thank you to our listeners for coming in today and listening to our special guest, Eddie, and how she shared her insights on how to navigate the continuous transitions in school. Remember to prioritize the entry and the exit transition programs for all staff and to continually evaluate and improve these programs to ensure that they meet the needs of both the newcomers and the stayers. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to having you in our next episode. Until next time, my new fellow educators, bye-bye.